So let's look at our text this morning. We want to look at this passage in Philippians, and uh, I've entitled the message, Joining with God in His Mission. And so often I've heard missions messages where you're meant to feel guilty because you're not doing it. Go! Go! And if you're not going, you get this impression that somehow, I'm a second-rate Christian, aren't I? you, You heard those messages? And I love this, go and make disciples. And that's the emphasis in Matthew 28 is make disciples. That's the command. Going gets part of it because it's the making disciples of the nations is what the text says. Go and make disciples of nations. So we can all be involved in that. And we get to join God in his mission here on earth. What a privilege. God doesn't need you, but he wants you. Sometimes we get this impression in church that if you don't do it, God's kind of stymied. He's kind of short-circuited and, and life's terrible and however is he going, no, 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 no. God can make even the rocks cry out for his praise. God's perfectly able to accomplish his mission. He's God. So we get to join God in his mission. And I think mission is this idea of crossing boundaries. And I'll try and show it to you from this text in Philippians chapter 2 in just a moment. But first, little short video on OM. It's got OM Australia in it because OM's in a lot of different countries. But this puts together very well, probably the best video we got from different countries around the world uh, about what OM is about. So, Dave, thanks for being Australian. Here it comes. We are a global community of Jesus followers. Since our beginnings, we have been driven by the deep conviction that everyone should have the opportunity to hear the gospel at least once. So we went. No place was too hard. No people too far. No idea too crazy. No dream too big. And our failures did not hold us back. Tens of thousands have joined us. And hundreds of millions have heard the gospel. But we are not done yet. We believe the gospel has the power to change everyone and everything, including the reality of those who are oppressed, forgotten and marginalised. We believe it is God's mission to transform lives and communities as he reconciles the world to himself. We have the privilege of joining with him in this mission. This transformation isn't reserved for those we serve. It happens to us too. It happens to us too. When we step out in faith, we start to change as well. Our hearts are changed. And so are our attitudes, relationships and priorities. Our soul is refreshed and we find significance in who he has made us to be and what he has made us to do. We are a group of people who don't fit a mould. We don't sit still. And who love the adventure of serving Jesus. We're looking for many more to join us on this journey. We listen first and don't just show up in a new place and project our way of doing and thinking. We get out of bed each morning with the confidence that the God who created the universe, who knocked over the walls of Jericho, who healed the blind and raised the dead, is with us. This emboldens us, empowers us, and keeps us moving forward. 
We believe everyone was made for God's purposes. Our talents, our gifts and our passions are his tools in us. If God wired us to design, then we design. If he wired us to organise, we organise. If he wired us to build, then we build. We want our work and our words to shine his light. So that those we live amongst will see it and glorify God. Over 3,000 unique groups of people with their own culture and language have never heard about Jesus. Ever. Our passion is that they would hear of his fame and renown. We believe. We believe. We believe. We believe. We believe. We believe. We believe that a vibrant community reproduces itself. Life produces life constantly. We are a global community of Jesus followers. So in many ways, that video kind of puts together what OM is about these days. Um, I'm excited to be part of that. Um, and you can be a part of it too, uh, as a church, as individuals, um, and, and help that mission of God be with that mission of God as well. This idea of crossing boundaries. I've got four phrases I've got stuck up on the screen. Cross boundaries. I like that phrase personally, because I'm a bit of a rebel, if you couldn't tell already. I grew up on, in Coventry uh, in the Midlands, and just, you know, 70s and 80s, I should have been born in the 60s, but I wasn't, uh, or the 50s, and I wasn't, so I'm just a bit of a rebel in me, can you tell? I like the idea of crossing boundaries. Uh, the second word is this, make transitions. I've lived in four different cultures, the UK growing up, America, one big culture, France, and now I'm back in the UK again, and it's another one, and I've been making transitions for quite a period of time at this point. Overcoming challenges. Oh, how do people think? Why do they think that way? How can they be so stupid to think that way? What is wrong with people? Overcoming challenges of adapting to cultures. And lastly, the biblical phrase is this, to be incarnational. Carne is the uh, Italian word, the Latin word for flesh, to become in the flesh like other people. And that's what Jesus did. He took on human form, didn't he, in John chapter 1. And he became and he dwelt amongst us. He literally tabernacled amongst us and was full of grace and truth. And our job as we join God in his mission is to dwell and be incarnational amongst people and figure out how we can tell them in a way which they understand his message to them as well. So four phrases. We need to join with the Lord in his mission. I've got the text back up on there, and as we read the text, Andy, thanks so much for reading it. I loved it feel like I'm in London town again a little bit, you know, bit of an accent there, having trouble understanding it with my mid-Atlantic accent these days, but I'm getting used to it being down here. Uh, I guess I'm technically in Hertfordshire here, am I? Not in Essex. Oh, there's some animosity I, I hear as well. So one of the basic things you might have to figure out is how to reach out into Essex. Ooh, 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 ooh. cross some boundaries. <laughs> We're not territorial in the UK, are we? Of course not. We're big-hearted, open people. 
The text says that we need to have this mind amongst ourselves in verse 15. And we're going to think about what it means to do that. Let's skip through the text. I'm not going to read it again. Just look at some of the things Jesus did as he crossed boundaries. He didn't count equality with God something to be grasped at. Have this mind in yourselves that was in Christ Jesus. Here's Christ Jesus. He didn't grasp equality with God something to be grasped. He emptied himself. He took on the form of a servant. He was born in the likeness of a human. That's God in flesh, incarnate. He humbled himself to the point of death. Jesus is the only human who knew he came to die. I was born, and I got to be a teenager, and then I got to have two children, and now I've got two grandchildren with potentially a couple more on the way, and I, I'm not anticipating that death is out there. I mean, I know it is, but I'm interested in living. But Jesus came to die so that we might have life. He humbled himself to the point of death, and not just any kind of death, but death on a cross. Now, that's a lot of transitions. That's a lot of boundaries to cross. That's a lot of, of, of challenges for Jesus, coming from eternity past, being in the likeness of God, being God himself, also then becoming flesh. And we are told that we're meant to have this same attitude in ourselves. And so that's where I say a large part of mission is this idea of us accepting the challenges of crossing boundaries, of becoming like Jesus to reach those around us as well. What boundaries might we have to cross? What are the things which you're going to have to cross? Well, the obvious one, right? Geographical. You might have to go to Harlow. I stayed there last night. What an interesting town. It reminded me of Coventry growing up. A little bit rough around the edges. Crossing boundaries. You might have to go to France like I did. Oh, those French people. Oh, they eat well. <laughs> they drink good wine. They like to strike. It's a national pastime. It's hard for Brits to get their heads around that. Crossing boundaries. You might have to go to Nepal. You might have to go to Eastern Europe. You might have to go anywhere in the world, but it might just, in fact, be next door or to a community you're not used to living in because they're different than what you are, if I can put it that way. So mission is about, for us, having the same mind as Christ and sometimes crossing geographical boundaries. Sometimes it's political boundaries. I, I, I hate to mention the word... You know the word. The thing we've been squabbling over for the last three years, right? Sometimes we might have to, for the sake of the gospel, set aside some of our political stuff. 
Because as soon as you say, I'm a lever or a remainer or I don't know or whatever else, you might be alienating the person you're talking to about the most important thing on earth, which is Jesus, and that we're all citizens of heaven primarily and not citizens of this planet primarily. I say that very carefully. We might have to cross some political boundaries or at least empty ourselves in some way for the sake of the cause of Jesus Christ, the kingdom of God, people's eternal destinies. We might have to set aside some cultural differences the mores and the customs, the values. I pastored a church in France, in the south of France, as an international church, and then we planted a French church out of the international church. And we did Christianity Explored, and we translated into French. And I was trying to explain to my English people who were running this that we couldn't just do baked beans on a, on a jacket potato with some cheese sprinkled on it for the meal. Because French people want to eat properly. They'd look at it and go, you're doing what? Jacket potatoes with beans on top and cheese? That's not a meal. You've got to have a aperitif. And then you've got to have a plat principal, a main dish. And then you've got to have a petit dessert, a little dessert. And then you've got to have coffee. And you've got to do it properly. Because the customs of France, you've got to adapt to them so you get a hearing for the gospel. There might be linguistic challenges to overcome. Fortunately, a lot of people speak English, but if you're going to go anything long-term and reach people, you might have to learn a language in some cases. I had to learn French because I'm sitting down with French people and they want to talk about their soul and the issues deep down. And, you know, they could do something in English, but their heart language, their soul language was French. So we had to learn a little French to do that as well. So missions, even though you can do short-term stuff, is ultimately a long-term thing, especially involves language. God, I'm sure, in this many people, has called somebody to be a longer-term missionary. Some of you already have a second language. That's great. Oh, prime material for God to call into mission. I had the marvelous experience in the States of having a, a Hmong people. Do you know the Hmong people? H-M-O-N-G. They come from the mountains of Cambodia and Laos and southern China. And they speak a Hmong language. And we had a Hmong congregation in our church in the States. And I remember the pastor coming to me and crying because he said, my children won't listen to me anymore. And he'd been a, a general in the Hmong army and fought the Vietnamese communists. And he'd been a tribal leader. He was the head of his tribe. And he said, my children don't listen to me anymore. What shall I do, pastor? And all across the states in Hmong people churches, this was happening. And their hearts were breaking as they're trying to engage their children in the gospel and the church. And over a number of years, they figured out how to do it. In 2004, when I was sent with my wife and two children as a missionary to France, our first Hmong couple was sent out to southern China, spoke Hmong language, going to read Hmong, Hmong people in southern China, Hmong face, Hmong talk, American passport, and they sent out their first missionaries as Hmong people. Saves Americans learning four years of language to go, oh, it's a, yeah. 
2015, I'm back in the States at a church planting conference, and I spot a guy amongst the 80 people there, and I was involved in church planting in the States, and I, looked, I said, you're Hmong. He said, how do you know? So I said how I knew, and da, da, da. He, says, I said, he says, I'm right, I'm third generation American. I'm American, he said. I said, what are you doing? He said, I'm planting a church in downtown Milwaukee with a, a black American brother and a second generation Polish guy. Now, there's a wonderful movement of God at work amongst God's people. Calling people to mission, planting churches. <sighs> I long to see that here. I was meeting with some Tamil pastors, and they've just changed from speaking Tamil language in their church to speaking English. And I said, why are you doing that? And the pastor said to me, two reasons. Number one, our children don't want to speak Tamil anymore, and that's heartbreaking to me. But number two... Our Polish neighbors don't speak Tamil and they speak English and Polish and we want to reach them for Jesus. They're crossing a linguistic barrier to reach their own people right here in East London. That's mission. That's crossing boundaries. That's God at work with us. That's us joining in his mission to reach the world as well. Well, some other things. Socioeconomic. I had the privilege of pastoring in the States and one church. I had everybody in our community of 20,000 people from the unemployed to the laborers in the factory floor to doctors to teachers to the business owners in my church. It was a rather unique situation even for America. We're probably not very good at crossing socioeconomic barriers. But that's sometimes what mission involves. Reaching out outside of our own normal environment to those who are not like us. The challenge, ah, the blessing of it as well. The religious one. The thing is with religion, it, it adds so much more complexity and depth and color to life. So if you talk to somebody from Islam or Hinduism or the majority religion in Western Europe, I call it pesh, pluralistic, evolutionary, secular humanism. I think that's what the majority religion of what, it's not even nominal Christianity anymore. It's anything you believe is good. How to talk to those people about Jesus. It colors their whole perception. And so we have to figure out how to cross boundaries. Have you ever talked to somebody about Jesus? Have you ever talked to somebody about Jesus and they said, ah, I'm kind of agnostic. Yeah? What do you do then? You feel like you've just been cut off. How do you approach them? I'll give you my best hint from living in France, because many French people would say, je suis agnostique. You say, just suppose that a God did exist. What would you like that God to be like? So you've entered their world, and they're thinking now, oh, uh, there might be a God. No, I don't know him, can't know him, don't want to know him. But if there was one, what I'd like him to be like... And they typically say a variation on two things. They'll say things like, he should be loving. And then they'll say, and he should be justice, just God. And you look at them and you say, odd thing that, that happens to be the same God I believe does exist and who's presented in the Bible. A loving and just God. 
Isn't it curious that the God which you say you can't know, don't want to know, but if you could have one, imagine he's there, is in fact the God of the Bible? Have you considered exploring who he is? <laughs> oh, that means 24 minutes has passed. My time's up. We've got communion to take. Boundaries. Skip biblical worldview. If you want my slides, I'll leave them. <laughs> I don't know what to do. Keep going. In Acts chapter 17, some motivation why we should join Jesus in his mission. Paul is preaching on the, the hill of Mars. You remember this scene in Acts chapter 17 and verse 16? And it says, his spirit was provoked. Because he saw all these people worshipping gods, trying to figure life out. I don't know about you, but there's lots of things that provoke people today. I've got a slide with three pictures on it. Bombings in Sri Lanka, that provokes people. We've got, we've got storms and tropical things coming into India and then just recently in Africa and Mozambique. Or maybe it's just as simple as something climate change. But Paul's spirit was provoked by all these people fumbling around in the darkness trying to figure out what truth was. And he says essentially five different things. He says that people are religious. All people are religious. In France, 25% of people consult a medium or some kind of mediumistic idea every year. And they say there's no God, there's no afterlife. I think, therefore I am, said Descartes, which means if you don't think, then you're not. Which means there's nothing after death. Which, which means that this life is all that there is. And yet 25% of French people want there to be something afterwards as well. What way are people religious? All religion answers these questions. Where do I come from? Where we come from? Where am I going? Why am I here? How can I know that I believe? And all these four questions give me my own identity at that point. And religion answers those questions. And we know where we come from. We know where we're going. We know why we're here. And we know why we believe. We are the most identified people on the, safe, same on the same place because we know the answers to all those questions in our minds and in our hearts. God put us here. We're his children. We know where we're going. We have an eternal home. We know why we're here, to glorify God and spread this message. We know why we believe because we've got a book that tells us and it's based around the life of a person who really existed died and rose from the dead, Jesus Christ, and that gives me my identity as a child of God temporarily here on this planet for 70, 80, 90 years. <sighs> That's what religion attempts to do. He says that we all have the same father in this passage, in Acts chapter 17. We're all the same, and yet we're all different. There is no room, none whatsoever, for xenophobia, for racism in the Christian church, none, categorically none, because we all have the same great, 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 I mean, how many greats do you go back to to get to Adam and Eve? We're all descended from one man and some woman. You can read about mitochondrial DNA if you want to do that. The scientists will tell you we all come from one original human pair. 
we've got this in common with every person on the same planet, on the, and every person on the planet. Every culture, he says, has something that points towards Jesus. He points to their life. He says, the unknown God, and he says, what you declare and worship as unknown, I'm going to talk to you about who he is. And he finds in their own culture some stepping off point into presenting the gospel. And every culture has something like this in it. French philosophy, which I got to know a little bit living in France. I'll skip the slide, but there's things in French philosophy which can help point two people towards who Jesus is. Jesus is in the Quran for Muslims. You can challenge Muslims. Have you read the New Testament about Isa, Jesus, the Injil, what it says about him? I've got a whole list of stuff there. Very famous missiologist said that in animist culture, there's always some kind of story which points to Jesus. Don Richardson in Peace Child, a book well worth reading, says in animism it's that way as well. In our own culture, this pesh religion, as I call it, the challenge of if you were to think about a God, what would you like him to be? And people have an idea. It's, it's what they want. It's a craving in their hearts. We need to think just briefly then about what faith is. Faith is this idea that we... It's often translated belief in our New Testaments. Belief or faith or have confidence in, commit. The best translation of the Greek word pistio is to trust, to trust something. It's not just a head knowledge. It's a commitment of my will. It's a commitment of my emotions. I trust in Jesus Christ, the one who was and is and is to come, the one who lived a perfect life, the one who died on a cross and the one who rose from the dead. I trust him for everything that I have. And yet I was brought up with something else. And so to become a Christian is to stop trusting what you inherited as a human being and to start to trust Jesus Christ. Maybe you grew up as a nominal Christian, go to church, have a nice time, it's the right thing to do, and you suddenly discover who Jesus really is and you stop trusting all those previous ideas about nominal Christianity and you start trusting the living Jesus Christ. Maybe you grew up in somebody in, in Islam uh, and you were taught to trust the Quran or you are taught to trust the Prophet Muhammad and instead of trusting them, you start to trust Jesus Christ. Or maybe you're a communist in China and you trusted what Chairman Mao said in the little red book and you stop trusting that and instead you start trusting Jesus. And a Christian is somebody, Peter says in 1 Peter, who loves and trusts Jesus Christ. Though you do not see him, you trust him. Though you do not see him now, you love him, he says. That's what faith is. That's what God asks us to join us in that. Short-term mission strips. Four blessings. It provides practical help to those who are sent to do the mission of God as missionaries. <laughs> That's a good thing, right? You can go help people. That's a wonderful thing. Pastor in France, I had short-term missions teams and interns who came for a month or up to two years. They did things I could never do. It was wonderful. But look at the other things. It puts you in a situation where you cannot depend upon self. That's huge. That will increase your spiritual life. Third thing, you'll learn the principle of crossing boundaries so that you can come home and apply them to your everyday life. You'll come back 
going, ah, this is what to be involved in the mission of God looks like in my community right here. And fourthly, it helps you as a congregation be community together and you increase the life of the fellowship which you're involved in as well. I want to skip to the very last two slides, missional living. The objective of missional living, what we're called to do here, is to implement a practical means of seeing groups of individuals engage with Jesus in seeing lives, communities, and cultures transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well done for being involved in the missions fair in your, commu the fair in your community. I'm so excited for you as a church. That's great. This is really good. You're out there. You're doing it. Here's some foundational practices of missional living. These are simple, huh? You know this stuff. Hang out. It's an American phrase. I know. I apologize. Not too much because it works. Hang out with people. Listen up to people. Most of us are not good at listening. Listen to people. Be friends with people. Christians have a really good job. We do a really good thing as we sort of, we get people to become Christians and over the next 10 years, we get rid of all their non-Christian friends for them. <laughs> True? Yeah? No, no, no. Keep your non-Christian friends. Be friends with them. Hang out with them. Listen up to them. Eat more. I always say I'd go to church even if I wasn't Christian because of the food for heaven's sakes. You can live up church. It's great. There's always food. But that's what Jesus, he was always eating. Most cultures in the world, eating is an integral part of the culture. Eat more. Have fun. Hang around Dave for a bit. He's the only one I know, but you know. I mean, what a fun guy. Have fun. Yeah. Repurpose. You're going to eat out. You've got a favorite place to eat out. Go eat out somewhere different. Make friends with the waiter. I, I was ate out at Med Medin, is it down in Harrow, Turkish place? Sorry? Yeah, there you go. I, my waiter was, uh, our waiter was, he was a German Jew. His father was a German Jew and his mother was a, Rom a Roma from Romania. Whew. What an interesting mix. I'd eat there again. He said, are you from around here? I said, no. He said, too bad. I like you. <laughs> we had a conversation. I told him I was preaching today. He said, are you orthodox? I said, no. He said, I'm orthodox. I said, that's great. How much do you love Jesus? And he didn't quite know what to do with that. But if I was here, there'd be, I'd repurposed. I've got to eat out. I'm going to meet somebody. Repurpose my eating out. And be smart about stuff. So this is how you develop the habits of missional living so that you can get engaged in God's mission here on earth. Are you in? You're in? Would you stand up with me if you're in? That's designed to make you feel guilty. You don't have to do that. Closing video. And then we're going to come to communion as well. Because that's where we celebrate that we belong to Jesus, that he bought us, that he paid for us. Forget yesterday, ignore tomorrow, and focus on today. Today you will have an opportunity to make a difference in our world, where 2.8 billion people haven't heard the life-changing gospel of Jesus. And today, it's easier than you think. We are driven by the conviction that there is no place too far, that there's no task too difficult, and with opportunities in 115 countries, there's no gift too small. 
Together, today, we can and will reach those who are waiting for God's transforming message of hope. You can change tomorrow by deciding to pray, give, go. Visit us at uk.om.org.